Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we've been expositing this great gospel over the months, and today's a challenge for me. I got 16 verses to preach to you, and and uh, if you've been here, you know that's going to be somewhat of a task, yeah. You believe in me? You're rooting me on. <laughs> I love... <laughs> Should we just say amen and go home? Yeah. <laughs> title of today's sermon is Help My Unbelief. Follow along as I read the inspired Word of God, starting in verse 14 of Mark chapter 9. The Word of God reads this, When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. His father... And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him, and do not enter him again. After crying and crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for the morning. We are in awe of all that Christ has done and is doing. We come to a passage that displays his divinity, his power over demons. And yet there's a lesson to be learned. The lesson to be learned is is, is faith in you, trusting you, knowing that you are the one who can do all things. So, Father, teach us this morning. May the Spirit take the word and, and help us understand. Be with your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage this morning, as you would engage by the title, it's about faith. This is about believing. 
We know according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians 2.16 tells us, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We who live in Christ, been redeemed by Christ, we live out our Christianity by faith. Faith is the dominating feature of our life because we have to put our trust entirely into the one whom we have not seen. What do I mean by that? If you think about your Christian faith, we trust in a God that we have not seen. We trust in a Christ that we have not seen. We trust in a, a Holy Spirit that we have not seen. Notice I'm not saying experience. We experience all of them in life according to the scriptures. But visually, we have a faith that is often not seen. We trust in a just, justification that we have not seen. And like I said, it's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on truth. It's based on evidence in what God and his word has revealed. I mean, when you think about this whole issue of faith, it, it is very odd to, to think about it, especially in light of the Christian. If you think about it, Faith connects one beyond the, the reality of what our five senses can hold and grasp. Faith involves realities that you can't hear, smell, touch, or taste. However, our inabilities of our senses to touch things that only can be grasped by faith doesn't negate the realities of our faith because only faith can apprehend those truths and comprehend them now before you think all this is nonsense you all exercise enormous faith this morning you realize that right that we're outside the, the realm of your senses how many of you carry a cell phone most of us do if you think about your cell phones, in any given place, there are accessible multi, uh, multiple billions of cell phone signals that are just swirling around our air. And if you have the right receptor, you will grab that because somebody is calling you. And when your phone rings, you're going to do what? By faith, you're going to answer it and somebody's going to be on the other line. Those cell phone signals can find our place in our, in our room. However, nobody can see them, smell them, or taste them. You respond to them, like I say, when you have the right receptor and you answer your phone. Again, with your Wi-Fi, if you woke up this morning and got on your internet, there are billions of information that, that allows your computer to access it through a wireless connection without us, what, seeing, touching, or smelling it. How do we and, and why do we believe that cell phones and Wi-Fi work? The reality of this is because we see the consequences of it. Our phone does ring. We push a button, push enter, and it takes us to that website. We see the consequences of them. Our phone works, our, our Wi-Fi connects. And this is the same concept when you think about 
the relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. This is the same concept that Jesus said to us about the Holy Spirit in John chapter, chapter 3, verse 8. Look to the screen, it reads there. It says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How do you know God is moving in your life or that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Well, Jesus says in that passage, it's like the wind. You can't necessarily see it, but you feel the effects of it. And that is true for us in the Christian life. We, we feel the effects of our faith based on truth that often God shows up and shows his hand. Faith is like this. And so our lesson today that Jesus is teaching us in, in our passage, this is a narrative all about faith. We understand the context. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's taking his disciples. His earthly ministry is over, per se. He's going to the cross. He's going to die and resurrect, and the disciples will be left, guess what? Walking by faith. And this is just a taste of that. Our passage gives us a taste of what it will be like when Jesus is gone. Why? Where was Jesus? Jesus was up on the mountain. Remember, he took Peter, James, and John. Our passage tells us earlier in Mark chapter 9, he was up there. Transfiguration happened. His glory was, his coming glory was being revealed to them. Remember that Elijah and Moses showed up, and even the voice of God spoke. And so you talk about a moment with those disciples, and the question you got to ask yourself, what was happening with the other nine? Well, the text tells us what was happening with the other nine. They were trying to cast out a demon-possessed boy. And so our narrative before us this morning moves us from, from feelings of doubts to confidence to faith. It helps us to understand how we are to walk by faith and trust him in all things. Simple truth, but how often has it played out in your life? Whatever tragedy comes your way, whatever trial comes your way, are you trusting in him for all things? And so this is a, a crash course for us on the issue of faith. And as we dissect this passage, the Lord gives us three sections that teach us what it means to think rightly about biblical faith. We know this is the first section in this crash course of faith is recognizing the reality that we lack faith. Look at verse 14 again with me. It reads, when they, who are the they? It's James, Peter, James, and John. Remember, they're traveling down the mountain. They start coming down the mountain. And they have this discussion of Jesus' death, resurrection, and they're talking about what they just saw. And they were talking about Elijah and, and, and knowing that he was going to be a forerunner. And Jesus is teaching them all these events that are going to happen. So they're coming down the mountain and they're ready to join the nine disciples. And so verse 14 again, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Now, we've met the scribes already. These are the theologians that were sent from Jerusalem to trap Jesus, to, to catch him in some kind of mishap so that they can discredit his ministry and his life. They saw Jesus as a threat to his, or to their, excuse me, to their leadership. They understood that the crowds were there. The people, Jesus had won the people. And so Jesus, Peter, and James, and John, they arrive, and they see that there's an issue going on. You can just see it visually. I mean, just a massive crowd with the nine disciples in the middle trying to explain why they cannot cast out this demon. And I think that they were most likely, just because of the hearts of the scribes, they were being mocked. I mean, this could be one of the things that they can get the people against Jesus and his disciples. 
Let's just forget all the, the many miracles that he has already done. But let's, let's look at the one he can't do. At least his disciples, right? And so they begin to mock. And we know this because of what follows in verse 18. It says that the situation at hand is that the disciples couldn't cast out a demon in a boy. The scribes were like piranhas. They were, they were going after to discredit Jesus' disciples and to sway the people away from following Jesus. You can imagine, they were just at a loss themselves. They understood the reality that when, even when Jesus was gone, that they were representing Jesus as he was, was away. And the result of their ministry is that they failed. They couldn't cast out a demon. And their failure was being challenged by these scribes. And because of what we know about their hearts in previous verses, they, they were being mocked and called out in front of all the crowd. Verse 15. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. Literally in the Greek, they, they were going to go tackle him. It's like that greeting when you come home and your kids are waiting for you at the door and they can't wait to see mom and dad. They are just coming. The debate stops and they, the crowd, the entire crowd, the scripture says, run to Jesus. No doubt they were thinking he is our answer. He's the one who's going to be able to do this. The thoughts is that Jesus can do it, that he can help remedy the situation. And so in verse 16, the narrative reads, and he asked them, what are you discussing with them? Notice there's two thems there in verse 16. He asked them, the crowd, what are you debating with the nine disciples? What is the deal here? He's noticing this conflict. Now, to rightly understand what's going on here and why the disciples are so confused, why they can't cast out the, the, the demon, we have to put some other things in our minds context-wise, and we have to go back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, gives us this this sending out of the 12. And I want to remind you what Jesus said to them. It reads there, and he summoned the 12, and he began to send them out into pairs. And he gave them, listen to this, authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached and the men that the men should repent. There's the message, right? Repent and believe in Christ. And they were casting out, listen, they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. This was, of course, a divine authority given to the apostles. They had this ability to cast out demons by his, by his power and delegated authority. They casted out many demons, the scripture tells us, they were healing the sick, and even Matthew in his gospel informs us that he was even, they were even in, in the help of raising people from the dead. I mean, they stood as a proxy for Jesus, displaying his God-given authority in their lives. These nine disciples had success casting out the demons up to this point, and they come upon a situation where that authority is stopped. I mean, think about this scene. The father brings his son, who was tortured by this unclean spirit, a demon. And the demon was, was causing havoc on this boy's life. 
Mark is so descriptive in his narrative here. I mean, this is violent, causing what we know are the symptoms of a grand mal seizure. But what's important in the text is to know that the demon is the one doing this, causing the boy to fall to the ground, causing him to foam and experience convulsion. The nine disciples tried to cast out this demon. And you can just imagine this. Here are nine of them. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think in our minds, we're, we're seeing each one of them probably go up and, and rebuke this demon and nothing happens. They're looking at each other saying, now you go. Now maybe we all should go. And the more they tried, it got worse. So one of the people in the crowd answers Jesus in verse 17. Notice it wasn't the disciples and notice it wasn't the scribes. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it, speaking about the demon, seizes him, it, the demon, slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Here is a father who is desperate. He simply wants the grace of Christ. He simply wants the healing. He wants his boy back. And so the scene is set. You have this compassionate father who, with a demon-possessed son presenting him to the disciples. And the disciples couldn't cast him out. They tried, but were not successful. And if we were to jump down to the end, in verse 29, the reason that they weren't successful, let me just jump ahead by telling you, is because the disciples lacked faith. This first section shows us the the recognition that the disciples having a lack of faith. This is a, a real, real life experience where they were walking, assuming that they could. In reality, they couldn't because they lacked faith. Now, this moves us to the, the second scene. And this section of the narrative is, is where is the meat of the lesson, where we draw upon this whole issue on this lesson on faith. And simply, the lesson that, that the Lord wants to teach us is that believing in him is where our faith rests. Look at verse 19 with me again. It says, and he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. I mean, he also gets the sense that, that Jesus is tired, that you know, the disciples didn't understand his messianic plan. The crowds are not understanding his messianic plan. I mean, he is just, to some degree, pointing out their, their misguided understanding of what he was there and why he was there. Generation, meaning not only the large crowd and the scribes, but also the disciples, and for that matter, even the whole of Israel. How long shall I be with you, and how long shall I put up with you? In other words, how long am I going to be just a man who fixes your problems? Who fixes your physical elements, rather than understanding that I'm here to fix your eternal soul. And so they bring the boy to Jesus. Verse 20. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. I mean, what is happening here, right? Again, Mark is telling us when the unclean spirit, the demon, is in front of Jesus, I mean, you, you can see what happens. The boy comes, the father brings him, and they're standing in front of Jesus, and immediately the demon responds. 
and throws this, this boy into the torment that he has had him over the years. As we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, we know that the first proclamation of the divinity of Jesus was from the demons. The demons knew who he was. They knew much about him. Their pipeline went out saying that the Messiah is here. And so we should expect this type of interaction with a demon when they would enter the presence of Christ. And we've seen time and time again when Jesus interacted with the demons, the demons had right theology. They understood who he was. Remember that in Mark chapter 5, in verses 6 and 7, seeing Jesus from a distance. Remember this? This was the demon-possessed man that had a legion of demons in him. He runs up to Jesus, bowed down, get this, bowed down, this is an act of worship before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Messianic title. I implore you, by God, do not torment me. That demon recognized who Jesus was, and such is the case in our passage in Mark chapter 9. The demons knew, and the demons know who Jesus is. And Jesus says in verse 21, and he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. If you can do anything, take pity and get this, take pity pity, not just on the son, not just on the care of the father, but notice what it says in the text, take pity on us. Plural, personal pronoun, help us out. You get the sense that this was a family deal, that they're dealing with this demon-possessed boy, and, and we know by the footnote of the father that, that often he would drag the boy into the, I mean, they had to constant watch this boy. And we know the motive of the demon. The desire was to destroy him. The demon had such control over this boy that the family had to be with him in order for the boy to live. He most likely had burn marks on his body when the demon threw him into the fire. The family had to make sure he wouldn't drown. And the cry is, the pleading of a desperate father, is Jesus, is Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I think as a parent, we can identify with that. We can see the, the desperateness in this guy's heart, crying out. Literally in the Greek, it has the idea of weeping, crying out to the great shepherd for mercy. For help. And then what follows next is, is pretty remarkable. The, the father's faith was weak and uninformed, not knowing what to do. We know that the boy's infliction was, was impacting the family, and the cry is to Jesus to rescue them, literally, in the Greek. He's desperate. The disciples, the nine men who represented Jesus, have tried multiple times to cast out this demon and were not able to. And Jesus responds in verse 23, and this is so key. Jesus said to them, to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, in the Greek, we know that there's a first-class conditional sentence. This is a statement. If you can, and by the way, you have seen me cast out many demons. You know that I can do this. And he responds, as all things are possible to him who believes. He's checking his heart to some degree. Haven't you heard of the many miracles I have performed 
And here Jesus goes to the heart of the issue at hand and goes after the disciples and this man's issue of a lack of faith. Do you not believe I can do this? The issue was their faith. And not the simple reality of him being able to cast out this, the stubborn dirty, but do they believe in him? Jesus is answering what they were, were thinking, that maybe this is the one instance where, where God can't step in. And Jesus reassures them, all things are possible to him who believes in Jesus. And then Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. To him who believes in him. Notice the text. Jesus has the power to, to radically change lives. We know that, to save, to rescue, to cast out demons. Most all of us would say amen to that. But there's a word of caution here that I think as a shepherd I need to give you. Notice that we have to stay in context here because we take a scripture like that and we rip it out of its context and we apply it to everything. But we have to stay in the context of this passage to understand what, when Jesus says all things are possible if you just believe in him, what are the all things here? He's not saying that everyone who tries hard enough and believes hard enough that they will be able to do all things according to your will. It's not what he's saying. Believing hard enough to be that, that professional athlete will not make me a professional athlete, right? There's discipline. There's training involved in all that. Believing hard enough that I'm going to lose 50 pounds is a great thing, but there's discipline in that. There's work in that. By the way, I wish it was the case where all we had to do is believe that I'm going to be skinny. And the next morning you'd wake up and you're skinny. But you and I both know hard work must accompany your desires. All things here is governed here by what the disciples couldn't do here in the flesh. And Jesus is telling them, the reason you couldn't do this is because you didn't have faith in him. You almost get the assumption that maybe Jesus was going up there, or these disciples were going up there, and they were like, just, just get out of here, demon. They have done it many times already. Why wasn't this doing this? You almost, and I think this is true and a great warning sign for our own souls. Sometimes we just presume on the grace of Christ so much that we expect things to happen according to our will and shocked when it doesn't. The context is about faith in Christ doing what is according to his glory and according to his will. Now, I've shared this story before. Shree and I uh, and the family went on a visit to, sweet, uh, to visit my sweet Pentecostal grandma. She was about four foot tall, just a spark plug, loves Christ. She's with Christ to this day. It happened to be over a Sunday, and of course she invited us to her church. Shree and I knew it was going to be an experience, but we thought it would be a great opportunity for us to, to, to go as a family and be blessed by the presence of my grandma. When I get there, of course, grandmas do what grandmas do. She drags me out in front of the pastor. This is my grandson. He's a pastor. And I'm thinking to myself, I just want to sit where you're sitting. And so the pastor says, oh, great. He says, once you, we got a situation, we're going to be praying for this dear saint. She has cancer. And we're going to be praying that she has enough faith to get rid of the cancer. And I thought to myself, oh, boy. I said, I will come up and pray. He had a guest preacher that morning, so there was three pastors. This gal comes forward in her Sunday best, and they start anointing her with oil. And not as saying dabbing oil, 
it's almost like they took 10W40 and opened it up and just poured it all over her hair. And so it was running down. Not my experience in life, right? And so I'm thinking, this is going to be interesting. And sure enough, the first pastor started speaking in tongues and laying on hands. And the, the pastor started praying. The only reason that she literally said this, the only reason you have cancer is because you do not believe that it will go away. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm thankful I get the last word. And so I started praying for her. I started praying that, Lord, help her. And it's not because of her lack of faith. She's come to you. She knows you. And you have a greater will and a greater understanding of what you're going to walk with her, even if she has cancer. She started crying. The pastor, of course, opened his eyes when I started praying contrary to what he had just prayed. Sermon goes on. We say amen. This gal runs over to me after the service and says, why did you pray this way? Sat down with her, opened up the scriptures, and gave her hope in him. She was so relieved. You think about it. How many of us want to sign up for cancer and say, you know what, the only way I can get rid of it is if I believe enough? You talk about the guilt and the weight. Her heart was heavy. It was just remarkable to see the, all that lifted up. And she asked me, where are you from? So I'm just visiting. Just visiting. All things are possible, meaning that all things that God has commanded and expects of us here in our passage, the casting out of a demon for the disciples and for you and me, it's simple obedience to the truth are possible if we believe in Jesus. The issue again was a lack of faith in Christ, trusting him. Verse 24, back to our text, immediately the boy's father cried, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I just love the honesty here, right? Jesus, I believe, but I'm discouraged. And I have some doubts. And he asked him to help him help his unbelief. He's at his wit's end. He's crying out and doesn't want to be the one who doesn't believe. He wants to believe. He wants his doubts to be removed. Help my unbelief. I push back from the text on that point and, and make this comment. What we learn here from the, the great compassionate Jesus is that God is never, listen, is never limited by our limited or imperfect faith. Let me read to you again. God is never limited by our limited or imperfect faith. He's able to accomplish more even though we are weak and have doubts. God will do all things for his glory even though we struggle in our faith. I mean, that's just how great a shepherd you have. That's how great a savior you have. I think of Paul who informed Timothy, his protege, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In other words, his glory will continue to shine. I think of the, of the doubts of Peter and his denial of Jesus three times during the crucifixion. His faith was weak. And the beautiful thing about that text is that we know that after the resurrection, Jesus grabs Peter and reassures him three times that I got you. Verse 25 of our text, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf. Now, this is the first time we hear that he can't hear, the kid, and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. 
And Jesus, in his divine power, speaks directly to the demon, commands him to come out, and then, get this, this is what I love about our Lord. I mean, and he tells them, he shuts the door, really. He says, do not enter him again. You will not enter him again. Verse 26, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But again, our compassionate Savior, Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up. I mean, the crowd thought the boy was dead, and Jesus simply took his hand and raised him up. And he picks up the boy. Of course, that validates his power over the demon and the demonic world, but it also shows his compassion and his care to reach down in the time of need and pick up the boy. Jesus did what the disciples and only did what he can and responded to the doubting faith that he is ready. I mean, here they couldn't do it. They couldn't understand why they were doing it. Here the father says, you know, I want to believe, but I don't know if this is going on so long. And Jesus says, I can do it. You know the neat thing about that truth is that as we walk life and we have doubts in our own faith, you've got to understand something. You've got a Savior who says, I can do it. You've got a Savior who says, trust me. I think what's difficult about all that is that we pray and we pray and we want things to change. And the Lord is saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. We recognize the lack of faith from the disciples. We know that believing or faith in the Lord is what we need to center our thoughts. This third section, a couple verses, learning the lesson of faith. The narrative goes on, verse 28. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him. He gets away privately, right? He's he begins questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? Great question. What happened in the mix of us giving the, the divine authority to cast out demons and now we can't do it? Jesus, what's going on? Verse 29. And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Anything but prayer. And you don't understand what prayer is, Right? Prayer is trusting and communicating to the one who has the character to do things. It's trusting him and his abilities and his characters of what he's already shown. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. What is he saying? He's saying that you can't do it on your own power. You have to pray. You have to understand where the power comes from. Understanding that he desires to display his glory. By the way, this whole situation about prayer, this, this is not about the power of the one who prays, but to, to whom the one you pray to, right? The power is not in your prayers. The power is the prayer to the one to whom can do all things. This is about faith in God to do what is according to his character and according to his glory and according to his will. You've heard that multiple times in the sermon. This is not about your will to turn all things into whatever you want. Jesus is not a genie where you just rub it and expect him to obey. This is about humble submission to the one who can do all things. And we must be careful to not put the power in our faith, but in the one who is the subject and the object of our faith. Again, I don't, I'm not surprised when God brings difficulties. 
in our lives. And he's asking you to walk by faith. That struggle is a good struggle for your soul. And in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that prayer, he is building your faith in him. He's teaching us that we need him. And that we need to be walking with him, knowing that he is our sufficiency. And this is what I love about our God. When all things seem humanly exhausted, God often shows up. And he does his thing. And all people can say is, that's the hand of God. You know I'm a chaplain at our local hospital, and I'm amazed about that all the time. I love it when God shuts the mouth of those who think that they can do all things. And he shows up, and the family says, how did this happen? God, his grace, his mercy, he shows up and shuts the mouths of people who think that they can do all things. What's our takeaway from all this? There's three of them I want to give you as we leave. I think, first of all, it is good to recognize that we do have doubts. It's, you under, as much as we hate that, understand that we are weak in our faith. That God is constantly desiring to strengthen you in your faith. And he gives you life situations to, to be on your knees that you would be praying for him. And so I think to some degree, we need to be honest with our own souls and pray, help our unbelief. And let me just say this, when you are doubting, what do you do with that doubt? What will you do with your doubt? Will you awaken your heart knowing that Jesus is the only answer? Will you pray to him knowing that he's sufficient for all things? Will we have absolute trust in him? There's a second takeaway, and that is faith is fed by our knowledge of God and his word. What do I mean there? Read your Bibles. The more you study the scriptures, the more you understand the truth of the character and how God responds. You want to increase your faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, the more exposure you have with the Word of God in your soul and your heart and your mind, it will increase your faith. Let me say it very kindly here. I make this statement that maybe might rock a few of you. If you're not spending time with God in His Word, don't expect your faith to be strong. Faith comes by hearing the truth of Christ from the scriptures. Third, let me just encourage you here. Yes, we are to walk this life by faith, but there's coming a day where your faith will be made clear. Where your faith will be strong where your faith will become sight. One day all this will make sense. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It reads there, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul understands the struggle. We understand the struggle. There's going to come a day where our faith will become sight, where we see him in all of his glory. 
And I guarantee you, you will not be lacking then. You won't have doubts then. Your faith will mature. It will be complete. And we long for that time. Simple exhortation. Look to him. Trust him. Follow him. Keep pressing on. Amen? Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the narrative and the truth and and diving our heart through this exercise of faith. We see it clearly played out in this narrative. We see it of a desperate father who knows that you are the answer. We thank you for your kindness and displaying your glory there. And we thank you for the many times that you've shown yourself to us. What I mean by that, the consequences of of knowing and trusting that when we see something happen, we know that's from God. And we thank you. Continue to encourage us this week. You know exactly what's in front of us. May we trust you. May our faith be rock solid. May our doubts cause us to pray all the more to you. Build our faith, Lord. We pray this in the one who has given us life. We pray these things in in the one who has redeemed us from our sins. We pray in the one who has conquered sin and death and who is now ascended to the right hand of God the Father, who is now interceding and praying for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.